Are you struggling with kids fighting, yelling, and more despite listening to the podcast and reading all the books? Parenting can be so overwhelming and exhausting. You know, I see you and I have something that will help. Mindful Parenting SOS. I'm offering free live mindful parenting sessions starting Monday, May 6th. Basically, live mindful parenting lessons that you normally have to pay for. So if you struggle with getting your kids to listen, tantrums, misbehavior, and feeling the guilt of yelling at your kid, then you should definitely get your spot in Mindful Parenting SOS. I'll be there to answer your questions in person, and if you can't make it, we will have replays available. Don't wait to get your spot now. It's free. Go to mindfulmamamentor.com slash SOS to register. That's mindfulmamamentor.com slash SOS. I can't wait to see you there. Don't be afraid to dive into feelings with your kids and empower them. Anxiety can be a beautiful thing in that it teaches our kids so much. They're learning how to tap into their strengths and face fears. You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast, episode number 275. Today, we're talking about how to help anxious kids with Natasha Daniels. Welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast. Here, it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have, and when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clark Fields. I help smart, thoughtful parents stay calm so they can have strong, connected relationships with their children. I've been practicing mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of Mindful Parenting, and I'm the author of the best-selling book, Raising Good Humans, a mindful guide to breaking the cycle of reactive parenting and raising kind, confidence. Kids. Hey, welcome back to the Mindful Mama podcast. I'm happy you are here. I have to say, dear listener, I'm so excited because I am totally vaccinated now. And I went out to dinner with some friends and hugged them for the first time in so long. And we went out to a restaurant, we ate out on the deck. But it was so wonderful to do something out in the world. I feel so much more relaxed now. Oh, it's amazing. So I'm hoping that you are in the same boat wherever you are around the world. I know that my listeners all around the world are maybe having a more difficult time getting the vaccine than those of us in the States. So I am thinking about you and hoping you get your COVID-19 vaccine soon so that all our lives can go back to normal. Oh my gosh. Or go back to something new, whatever's new and ready for us next. And this whole crisis has caused so much anxiety, of course, which is what we're talking about today. And it is for adults and for kids. And we've had a lot of work to deal with it. So I'm so excited for you to join me at the table as I talk to Natasha Daniels because she's an anxiety and OCD child therapist and a mom of three kids with anxiety and OCD. So if you have been worried about your kids worrying, this is definitely, definitely the episode for you. She's the host of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast, the YouTube channel Ask the Child Therapist, and the creator of ATParentingSurvival.com. And we're going to talk about, you know, when are these fears and anxieties for kids normal and when are they cause for concern and how do we even tell it in a time like this right like this is a very unusual time in the course of our 
human history, right? So you're going to hear some really valuable insights into what signs to watch out for and how we as parents are best able to support our kiddos. And there are some important takeaways I want you to listen for what normal anxiety looks like versus an anxiety disorder, right? So we don't want to be fueling our own anxiety and our own worry or helicopter tendencies and, and think our kids have anxiety disorders if they're anxious. We're going to talk about what the difference is. We're going to talk about how to help our kids cope and learn from anxiety and the importance of empowering our kids and celebrating their bravery. It's really valuable. I know that on the Mindful Mama team, we have some members whose kids have anxiety and they got immediately helpful advice from listening to this episode. So be sure to listen all the way to the end. And I just want to remind you that you can see clips from this episode as well as short teaching sessions from me over at our YouTube channel. If you are wanting to like kind of share some little bits of what you hear on the podcast, this is a really great way to do it. Or if you want to learn more about mindful parenting, you can go to the YouTube channel, the Mindful Mama Mentor YouTube channel and find all that. You can share it with a partner, share it with friends. And when you go over there, make sure you subscribe so we can grow our little baby channel and get this information out to more parents. So I know you're going to get so much out of this. I don't want to delay a moment longer. So let's dive into this episode. Natasha, thank you so much for coming on the Mindful Mama podcast. Yeah, my pleasure. I'm, I'm happy to talk to you because, you know, thinking about anxiety with kids, it's like, oh gosh, it's like makes us like anxious just even thinking about that. But you talk about your, your therapist and you also talk about how you have your own kids with anxiety. How did you start to realize they were struggling with anxiety? Like what, what was your, you know, what ages had, what were some of the signs that you saw in your own kids? You know, actually I started treating kids with anxiety before I even had kids. And so, um, you know, the universe was like, haha, we'll just give her a couple of her own, <laughs> more than a couple. So I was actually in an infant and toddler mental health program, like a postgraduate program that my job at the time required me to do when I had my first child. And so I feel like I was really fortunate in the sense that um, I would kind of raise my hand and be like, well, isn't that normal? Or like, aren't we pathologizing kind of toddler behavior? And then eventually the professor was like, I think you should probably have early intervention assess your child. And I was like, what? Wow. So, um, yeah, I did not, I did not recognize the early signs because they don't look like your typical anxiety. Mm -hmm. But then by the third kid, <laughs> you know, I was like clued in when she was having constipation and afraid to poop and had all these, um, anxiety issues that you wouldn't probably put under the category of anxiety. Huh. So what, you know, so what makes it, yeah. I mean, and I have those questions too. Like what, what makes it, you know, something where we say my child is struggling with anxiety versus we all just have fears and fears happen in childhood and they arise normally and they pass away normally and that kind of thing. Like what, what's kind of, what are some of the differences between anxiety that we want, we want to worry about to like kind of versus normal anxiety, because that's part of being human. Yeah. It's a good question because I feel like it's not about necessarily when we're talking about anxiety and not OCD, it's, it's not 
the anxiety theme, it's the severity and the acuity of the anxiety. So when it's, when it's showing up and it's, it's debilitating and your child can't move on and they can't function. So a lot of times it's the level of it because you have developmentally, you know, it's normal to have fear. It's normal to have anxiety. There's environmental stressors that are going on currently. It's normal to feel stressful and, and anxious, but it's the, it's the level of anxiety. I think that happens um, that causes that. And then I also think being proactive isn't a bad thing anyway. So even if, um, because I think sometimes we split hairs of like, well, is that an anxiety disorder or is that just an anxious child because of developmentally, you know, they're going through that and either way, you know, we can do things as parents to proactively help build resiliency and build uh, an approach on how our kids deal with those struggles regardless. Is, um, and yeah, and I'm, I worry about that idea that we, we, we say, we like say anxiety, like having worries and anxiety, that feeling of anxiety is like wrong or bad. Like that's just, you know, from, you know, from some, from my point of view in a lot of ways, like it is, it's just such a normal part of the human spectrum. Right. But we are also like, I think we are afraid of anxiety. Like, you know, we, we shoot that double arrow, that second arrow at it, where we're afraid of, I mean, I remember when I was looking at the, my own anxieties that I dealt with, I was even yeah, as a, in my late twenties, I remember even being like afraid of saying the word anxiety. Like it made me anxious to say the word, you know? And, and so um, yeah, I guess I'm, I'm not sure what my question is here, but like that, you know, when we talk about this with kids, um, what, what kind of, I guess maybe what kind of approach do we want to take as parents? Like to, are there ways to avoid the, like, not, you know, avoid that being afraid of normal fears and anxieties. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. And I do feel like in that sense, it can be different. Um, So having anxiety or having fears and helping our kids be resilient and accept those physiological responses and um, be included into their body is so helpful. And I feel like everybody should have that. That's, that's a life skill that should be taught when you have an anxiety disorder though. um, And sometimes you don't know that until your kids evolve further. And sometimes as a grown up, you don't know that until you, you look at your child and then you realize that you have your own anxiety disorder. I feel like that that is different um, than your normal, you know, fight or flight response or your, your normal brain trying to protect you. I feel like, you know, being bombarded with intrusive thoughts, you know, can feel different mm-hmm. than an anxious person who just gets a little stressed when they have to take a test. Um, and so in that sense, it can be different. And the approach that you can take can be different depending on your personality style and um, what's going to resonate with you. Yeah. So there's, there's a spectrum, right. Where we're, we're looking at, you know, where it's, when is it kind of like debilitating your life or when is it debilitating your child's life? And, and like you said, like a lot of people, you know, their, their child gets diagnosed with ADHD and then they, Oh, look at me. I have all those things too. Did you discover that in your own life where you're like, Oh, here's my child diagnosed, you know, having an anxiety issue. And then did it, did it point a mirror back to yourself? Uh, it did. And I think we can learn so much from our kids because I think they are little mirrors sometimes into, especially these things that are genetic, you know, there's mm-hmm. a highly genetic component to anxiety disorders. 
And when you see them in your child, it can definitely trigger like your own memories of your own childhood. And um, even seeing them struggle, realizing that you're modeling for them, you know, how to handle this anxiety theme. And so I know two out of my three kids have social anxiety. My third one, I think he's got a little flavor of that too, but especially my youngest, um, who's very similar to me personality wise, like she would call me on my own stuff, you know, and as she was working on her social anxiety, she would say, you know, mom, I think that's your social anxiety and she'd be right. And so then I had a model, you know, what I'm trying to teach her to do, you know, to, to get through those fears, to, to not accommodate my anxiety and do something so that people wouldn't look at me in a weird way to embrace myself in all my weirdness. And um, so it's been a really cool journey actually for both of us, for all of us, not just her and I to do that. I love that to embrace your own weirdness. So that's so cool. <laughs> so, um, so what are some of the, what are some of the signs of anxiety in kids? What are, what are, what should we be looking for as parents? You know, it can differ, um, in kids depending on their different themes, but I think if I was to say in general, you want to look for things that are debilitating them. Cause we're talking about anxiety disorders mm-hmm. versus in, you know, a sensitive child who is just a little bit more sensitive to the world. I mean, you can have both, but when you have an anxiety disorder, your child might be avoiding basic things. They may not be able to go to school or they may not be able to go to the bathroom. They may not be able to go to bed on their own way beyond what is developmentally appropriate. They may not be able to um, do their schoolwork without crumbling to a level that isn't um, kind of typical for that age. So when you're seeing it impact their social and emotional growth, I think that's a concern. And also physiologically, you get a lot of somatic complaints with anxiety. So if your child is having um, you know, tightness in their chest or they're complaining about a racing heart or they're having a lot of GI issues, you wanna do a lot of rule outs because um, there's a lot of somatic issues. So constipation and not that your child can't have any of these without anxiety for sure, but these are things that get missed, I think. Um, nausea and GI issues, migraines, um, things that can cause a lot of physical issues. So constipation can be a sign of anxiety in kids? It's definitely a red flag. So one doesn't equal the other, Yeah, but it's a, it's a, it's a weird correlation because, you know, your body's slowing down. And so it slows down a lot of times the GI tract. And so sometimes one of the earlier symptoms can be constipation because your body will either say, okay, we don't have time for this and release. And so you get like diarrhea, you know, when you're in that kind of lovely, you know, that immediate like fight or flight response. But when you've been under stress for a long period of time, your body actually can slow down that GI tract. And so you get a lot of constipation because it's, it's spending its energy in lots of different areas. And so the um, constipation becomes a common one. Yeah, because your body, if your body's in that stress response, in that fight, flight, or freeze response, it's like moving energy away from the rest and digest response, which is the opposite, and towards like the tightening of the muscles and the getting ready for action kind of thing. Right. Okay. All right. So constipation, you said sleep issues, right? Isn't that one of them, a sign of anxiety that we want to look for? And, And what are we looking for there? And sleep issues, and you can have, I just want to also like just stress again, you can have these issues without having an anxiety disorder, but these are just things like when you start looking at the big picture, 
you know, these are the things that might be little subtle indicators besides a child like balled up in a corner crying and being fearful, which I think is, you know, what most people think of anxiety. They don't look for these smaller subtle things. Um, sleep is a very scary time for people with anxiety disorders <laughs> because it's like a little mini eight hour death. You know, it's scary. You're like letting go of control. You're shutting your mm. eyes. You don't know what's going to happen. Um, and so a lot of different anxiety themes can pop up. Also, it's a really quiet time. So your anxiety has the microphone and your, your brain is, is ready to give it its attention. So a lot of times, not all the time, but a lot of times you'll see sleep is a problem. Either they're scared to sleep or they're wondering where their parent is at, or they don't want their parent to go to bed before them. Like there's a lot of rules around sleep, or there's a lot of ritualistic behavior around sleep, um, or they're afraid of bad guys. There's like just so many different themes that hit upon sleep. Parenting can be loud, stressful, and rough some days. And we want to be able to go to bed and take care of ourselves in a really beautiful way. And that's why I love that Cozy Earth is a sponsor of the podcast. Cozy Earth offers bedding products that will transform your sleep. The bedding is temperature regulating, which is like a huge sleep benefit, has superior softness, incredible fabric, and incredibly high quality. All the products come with a 10-year warranty. Truly, incorporating Cozy Earth products into your self-care routine can enhance your sleep quality and your overall wellness. You deserve to treat yourself to the ultimate in comfort and indulgence after all the day's craziness of parenting with Cozy Earth bedding and sleepwear. And it's a way to prioritize your self-care and sleep health. You deserve it. And here's an exclusive Mother's Day offer just for our listeners. Use the code MINDFUL35 for 35% off. That's awesome. At CozyEarth.com. That's coupon code MINDFUL35 for 35% off at CozyEarth.com. I want to tell you about a great podcast that you should check out, especially if you ever deal with any school system, which you probably do. It's called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. And this season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP and busts common myths about special education. So I checked out the episode on the difference between IEPs and 504 plans because my daughter Maggie uses a 504 plan and it was really, really helpful. It went over all the differences, which one's better, how to get them, different myths and what your rights are, all kinds of different things that you should understand if your child may need extra help in education through an IEP or a 504 plan. The tone is super helpful, friendly, and smart. I highly recommend you check it out. To listen to Understood Explains, just search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's it. Understood Explains. You know, that there's a lot of like things like resonating for me as you describe this for my my own daughter. But then I, as I, re I thought of like myself when I was a kid and like the, the sort of nightmares I had all the time and the, the sort of the fears around sleep. But um uh, one thing I've been thinking about with my own child, who's um, 10, is that she I, she's definitely highly sensitive. Like, that's really clear and, and definitely has anxieties. Um, and one thing that we, my husband and I have been worried about for some time is like this, 
uh, she listens to her. She's read Harry Potter like eight times, like the whole series. And she listens to the audiobooks on her headphones, like almost constantly. Like she, she does, it's, it's like, so I, what I'm thinking is that it's like really soothing for her and you're not hearing then any sort of like worry, anxiety thoughts, I guess. Like when you're, you got, you know, comforting Harry Potter where you know the story <laughs> inside and out mm-hmm. and left and right in your ears. Yeah. Yeah. And that makes sense. You know, where it's, she doesn't have to worry about hearing creaks and it depends. Everyone's different as far as what they worry about, but mm-hmm. um, quieting the mind or quieting the house are definitely two things that help. Hmm. Okay. All right. So sleep signs in the body. And, and I think also you mentioned that, um, hyper are like in smaller kids, like hyperactivity is a sign of anxiety, hyper arousal. Um, it can be uh, mm-hmm. sometimes ADHD is misdiagnosed and it's actually anxiety. Um, because when you're anxious, you can, you can have a lot of jittery behavior. Mm-hmm. So it's good to have a therapist who can rule out, who understands anxiety and ADHD. They are comorbid conditions, so you can have both very easily. But like my son, who's 11, he looks very hyper at times um, when he is anxious and he's stressed. He's literally bouncing off the walls. Like he's bouncing on the couch. And if someone was a fly on the wall, they'd be like, oh, that poor child definitely has ADHD. But you have to look at the pattern. You know, he he's only doing that when he's anxious or stressed. And so a lot of times you'll see that high activity level when a child is like hyper aroused um, and overstimulated with anxiety. Okay. So, you know, knowing that anxiety is an energy, right? Like it's like our body is like building energy to be able to respond, right? Like if we're in that stress response, our nervous system is putting energy into the muscles, into tightening the muscles and in the extremities and et cetera, in order to take action, right? Because it's like a fear, a fear response, fear of a threat. So knowing that I'm just curious, like, um, it, you know, it maybe kind of, as we kind of shift into, um, like some of the things that maybe that kids can, can do with about this. I mean, I guess there's, there's a lot more to kind of talk about about it, but I guess one of the things that might end up being really helpful is like, just like exercise, imagine, right? Like burning that energy off. Is that, is that something you talk yeah, about? It really depends on the child. You know, I feel like tapping into what innately makes them feel better. Um, kids can kind of intuitively know what makes them feel better. Like my son, I would find him sandwiched in between his mattress. And when, and I noticed eventually like whenever he's, and sometimes anxiety will look like rage and anger. And that's another thing. It'll look like disruptive behavior. And so Mm. his anxiety looks like, it does not look like anxiety. It looks like anger. And Mm. I will find him balled up somewhere, either like under the um, beanbag or like in when he was in between my mattress, that was a very clear eye-opening moment for me. <laughs> I was like, he's wanting deep pressure. Like he obviously, his body, his nervous system is so like dysregulated that he is looking for physical deep pressure. So I think that kids will, you want to look at, just observe their behavior. What are they doing when they're feeling anxious, like intuitively to get what they need? And sometimes it is movement. It is for him, for sure, deep pressure and movement. Mm-hmm. Um, and for other kids, um, who are already getting a lot of physiological overwhelmness, you know, they're already feeling like their heart is racing and they're feeling panicky. I know like I had panic attacks when I was a teenager and 
exercise would be the worst thing for me because mm. I already felt like I, my heart was racing. And so mm. any movement and any, and I always, I felt like I couldn't catch my breath. So anything that would, you know, accentuate that would definitely cause more anxiety. And so I actually needed to just have like an orange, which was so bizarre. I needed to have a cold orange. I needed to have like coldness on my face. So that became kind of my coping mechanism. So I think it's tapping into helping your child connect the dots of what, do, what, do, what do they need? What does their body need? So it's like kind of like opening up that, you know, personal self-awareness and that intuition, um, about what's going on for them. What, and, and anxiety is linked to obsessive compulsive disorder, right? Are they connected together? You know, they really aren't as much as people mm-hmm. think they are. They're, they, they like to hang out together. They're, uh, you know, they're definitely comorbid conditions. And so if you have OCD, the likelihood of you having anxiety is very, very high, like generalized anxiety, but they are, they are very different disorders. Um, and I think that people kind of get that confused because how you treat OCD versus anxiety is very different too. So, um, so what, how are they different? So explain it. I, I don't, you okay. know, cause I can, I can imagine obsessive compulsive disorder, right? Like you're, you, you're worried about some things in the world. And so you're, you have a, a ritualized kind of like behavior that is soothing, right? I mean, I don't know. I, tell yeah. me, I, I know I'm, I'm certainly wrong. And, and <laughs> well, that's definitely like the, the cliff notes version of it. Okay. Um, you know, you have like an intrusive thought or feeling, and I think people miss the feeling part and you have to do or avoid something to get some brief relief, but the more you do or avoid the bigger it grows. And so I think people think of OCD and they think, you know, germs and handwashing and neurotic behavior. Um, and they don't realize that you can have an intrusive thought that says, you know, I was going to say a bad word you know, or you can have an intrusive thought that says I'm a bad person and you have to do or avoid something to get that brief relief. I think we think of checking and tapping and cleaning, and we don't realize the the other nuances that happen with OCD. And OCD is less of, um, the anxiety themes are different often, not, not doesn't have to be a hundred percent, but the OCD thoughts and feelings are, are often different. Um, and I think that gets confused too. It's not really just like a fight or flight response. It's not like, let me just protect myself. And now I have things I need to do to protect myself. Um, you can have sensory motor OCD where you feel like you have to pee over and over and over again. It's a misfiring and it involves the basal ganglia. So it's a different part of the brain than some of the anxiety stuff that we look at. So there's this weird overlap, but there's also some very separate things um, that, that are purely OCD and not anxiety based. Okay. All right. So I'm imagining the listener hearing this and seeing, hearing like, uh, you know, any number of these things we're talking about and saying, oh, that sounds like my child. Um, because there's a lot of overlap with like, you know, for, for any number of reasons. Right. So if a parent is worried about my child's either anxious about something in their life, or maybe they're uh, they're you know what what Natasha is talking about with they they have a disorder, and now I need to worry about that. What are some of the first things that a parent should be like looking for, or or doing, or or to help their child with this? You know, if it's OCD, and a lot of stuff I'm talking about, just to take a step back, mm-hmm. can be other things. So I think it's always important when you're listening and you're getting new information to say this is a piece of the puzzle, but it may not be my piece. You know, it's just one piece of a puzzle. Um, you know, if a child is trying to pee over and over again, they might have a UTI, you know, so take mm. them to the doctor and rule that out. Just yeah. to throw that out there. Um, but 
when we're talking about OCD and the difference between anxiety and OCD is there, you're going to look at a lot of compulsive behavior. Your child's doing a lot of stuff that doesn't make sense, or even they're asking you questions over and over and they're not satiated by that. And so um, you're answering them and they're asking you again and they're asking you again. Maybe they even want you to respond in a certain way and they seem very distressed if you don't give them that response and you're in this vicious loop. That's different often than the anxious person who will say, you know, mom, and they'll ask you something about their anxiety. What was that noise? And then you answer it and they're satisfied. Their anxiety Mm -hmm. can process this and get satisfied. It might come up tomorrow or the next day, but it's satisfied. With OCD, it's very repetitive. And so as a parent, when you start to see, wow, my child's, first of all, they're confessing weird things to me. They're like, mom, you know, two years ago, I think that I kicked the dog. And you're like, well, honey, don't worry about it. And then, you know, you're seeing a pattern of questions that are, that seem bizarre, you know, that's a red flag. And if you're not able to help your child in the ways that a typical parent would, that's a red flag. Or if you're seeing them do quirky things around the house, they're tapping in a certain way, or they're making certain expressions, um, or they're, you know, excessively washing their hands. That is actually, you know, part of OCD. I think most people don't miss that one, but they miss the, the parent component of, you know, you have to say a certain thing to me in a certain way, or I'm going to not be okay. So Mm -hmm. if you see those things, that's a red flag and then seek out some help to get it assessed. Okay. Okay. So for the OCD kind of behaviors, we want to just like, just get help right away. And what might that help look like for just in a nutshell? (laughs) Uh, You know, look for an OCD therapist. So go to like the International OCD Foundation. Um, You can go to iocdf.org slash find dash help. And I memorize that because there aren't a lot of OCD therapists and they'll rule it in or or, or they'll rule it out. And then you can just cross that off your list. Okay, cool. So let's, let's step back again to kids with who are having anxiety. They may be having sleep issues. They may be angry. They may be, um, you know, they may, uh, what were some of those things again that you were pointing to that they might have? They might be, um, hyper aroused. They might be defiant. I feel like a lot of times, especially not to stereotype, but sometimes more in boys, you'll see more aggressive, defiant, oppositional uh, behavior. And if it seems like it's out of nowhere or it's uncharacteristic or it's not consistent and there's a pattern to it, sometimes that's a sign too. So the, there's like fears, there's anxieties coming in their body. And so then they're acting out aggressively because driven by these, these feelings of fear and, or anxiety. And a lot of times it's a parent request. So, um, and I'll give you an example. This is a really mm-hmm. old, long time ago, but it's such a good example. I use it a lot. Um, I, my son had to go like empty the trash bins around the house and, you know, it was like a very simple chore, you know, and he was freaking out about it and he's normally a pretty good helper. And so his reaction was very big. And, and I moved kind of in like mama annoyance mode where I was like, honestly, like you have to pitch in, but then I paused because he does have an anxiety disorder. And I said, well, what's the hardest part about, you know, emptying these bins? And I didn't have any kind of condescending tone in my voice. I like wanted to know. And his answer was what, not what I expected. You know, it's, well, it's dark in those rooms. It will, it was daylight. So it wasn't dark, but it wasn't what I was expecting. It's boring or it's stupid. Or why do I have to do this? Or I want to get back on my video game. It was, it was an anxiety answer. 
So his opposition and his anger, which was escalating because I was escalating, um, it could have turned into like a typical parent child moment where I like punished him and he like kicked something and went and hit, you know, we could have done that dance Mm -hmm. and we have, but I, for some reason I paused in that moment and, and then he was able to reveal that. So sometimes I think kids who don't have good communication, I mean, even though he's like my kid, he does not, he did not articulate his feelings well at all. Mm-hmm. Something I actually sent him to therapy for, you know, someone who's not his mom to teach him. So a lot of our kids who can't articulate things, they're going, they're going to have that, you know, fight mode when you are triggering their anxiety inadvertently and you don't know it. As parents, we know that there are so many things in life that we have to compromise on. But when it comes to your health, there is no compromise. So don't go back to that doctor that doesn't really listen to you. Instead, check out ZocDoc. This is a place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your health. And you can search by location, availability, and insurance. So literally, there's no compromises here because with ZocDoc, you've got more options than you actually know about. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. The typical wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between just 24 and 72 hours. That's it. You can even score same-day appointments. Go to ZocDoc.com slash mindful and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's ZocDoc, Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash mindful. ZocDoc.com slash mindful. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. Mm, Okay. All right. And so you're able to step back in that moment and kind of check in with him. And, you know, that whole, that kind of goes back to that whole idea of like, kids who are acting badly or feeling badly. And so you're able to kind of like find out like, why is he feeling badly about this kind of thing? And that was a clue. Yeah. Yeah. It's always good to explore that. Okay. All right. So if we think our kids are suffering from anxiety and there's like a whole spectrum, right? Like it may be kids who are just suffering from anxiety. Maybe there's an anxiety disorder happening you know, I'm imagining like if this were me, like probably the first things I would want to do is like see what I can do to help my child myself. So are there, what are the things that parents can do to help their kids just kind of on their own? You know, I think educating your kids about anxiety and what it does to their body. I think kids are not connected to how they're feeling 
and what they're thinking and, and how it's shutting them down. So having open conversations about things that make them anxious and having them identify in their body what that feels like. So they can kind of, because sometimes your body will be your first indicator, like, oh, I'm having a hard time breathing. Why is this? And then getting them to, to tune into what things make them anxious. And this is regardless of whether they have an anxiety disorder or they're just a sensitive or anxious person. Because if you can get your child to rattle off, you know, like I get nervous when I'm around new people and I get nervous, you know, when I have to eat new food, you know, and kids don't get that emotional education and emotional intelligence typically in school. Maybe one day they will, but we can do that for our kids. That's a gift to like, if you ask my daughter, you know, what are your anxiety triggers? <laughs> you know, she's nine, but she'll be like, well, you know, I'm afraid to throw up and I'm afraid of like embarrassing myself. And she'll like list them off because she's been like trained to, I'd be able to identify. So I think the first step is teaching what anxiety is, how it feels in their body and what, what anxiety themes they have. And then the second step is I always personify anxiety. I think that's helpful, but it's not the approach that everybody likes and that's okay. It's like finding what works for your child, but we always name our anxiety at my house. And so we externalize it. So it's not, it's not necessarily something they are. It's something that they're dealing with. So they are either training their anxiety to respond in a different way. Um, or depending on your child's personality style, I have some boys I work with in my therapy practice who like want to crush it or they want to like, just, you know, they're a little more aggressive. And so it's, it just is whatever works for your child, but teaching them to walk towards anxiety or towards their fears, um, instead of away from it is really helpful because the more you avoid, the more your anxiety or your fears will grow. And so teaching any child, regardless of anxiety disorder, that when you take small steps towards your fears, you become empowered and you learn how to kind of retrain your brain that it's all okay. So you're, you're normalizing it with this conversation and you might maybe even share your own, like, places in your life where you've had anxieties and, and, and what it felt like in your own body or something like that. Yeah. Normalizing is really good because if you don't have that communication aspect, um, your kids will, you know, hide their anxiety and it'll go undercover and it can manifest in physical ways. And so normalizing it, sharing your own experiences, not in a confidant sort of way, but in a modeling sort of way can be so helpful. Great. And I just want to kind of like underline that you're saying like not in a confidant way, like right now, you know, maybe I'm, you know, like reaching out to your child as a friend to like get some support, but more like I've dealt with this um, in these situations and this is how it felt for me and this is what I did and that kind of thing. Yeah. You definitely want to have some intention when you're sharing with your children. You know, I think sometimes we go the other extreme and we don't share at all because we want to have that parent child relationship that, you know, and that defined role and boundary, but it's so good for our kids to know that we're human and yes. it's such a, like untapped resource to like model that for them in a way that is very like intentional. And so, yeah, I think you want, you want to wrap it up in a bow in some way, you know, mm -hmm. like whenever I share something with my kids, I have a goal that I want to like share with them. Mm -hmm. So I might share a battle that I have with social anxiety after something happened. Like we had a situation a while ago where it was pajama day and you know, we, this was pre COVID. And so we went to a whole bunch of doctors, like they, they were going to see every doctor under the sun that day because um, I have no idea why we went to the dentist and then, you know, we went to a specialist and my daughter wanted to wear her pajamas like the entire time. And my social anxiety was like, Oh my gosh, they're going to, 
this is so embarrassing. You know, they're going to think like, I'm just like one of those parents who just like brings my child in pajamas wherever, you know, and they're nine. And I didn't say anything to my daughter. I didn't say anything to the doctors. Normally I'd be like, you know, it's pajama day. Just, you know, all that that you're seeing is pajama day. And I didn't, but later I did share with my daughter that, that I did like a challenge for my anxiety. And I purposely, that it was upsetting for me and that I sat with my discomfort and I let people think things that whatever they wanted to think, because I knew that I was okay either, either way. So I was sharing with her my struggle, but I was sharing it with a goal. Mm-hmm. And I think that's different than being a confidant. Yeah. Good. I'm glad. Thank you for, um, like, I think that's good for us to like dive into that a little deeper and kind of see what that looks like and what that sounds like from somebody who's, who's experienced that. Right. Cause we do want to be honest and authentic and we want to like share, we need to model these things. And that's one of the biggest struggles that we've had, right. But as, as parents is that these things weren't modeled for us, like emotional, naming our feelings wasn't modeled for us. Like emotional intelligence wasn't modeled for us. And so all this stuff can be really hard, but maybe we can think of our, our, our kids as a motivator to, to start to do these things, uh, these uncomfortable things, like saying them out, out loud or like sharing these things after the fact and, and, and use, you know, bring our own awareness to what's going on. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, what about kids who are, so, you know, my kids have a lot of resistance to like breathing into anything because their mom is the mindful mama mentor and they're just like, don't even give me that mom. And so when I ask a question, like, where do you feel that in your body? They are just like, shut it down, mom. Like, (laughs) I don't even want to get there. So any advice for me personally on this? (laughs) Kids like they'll clue into what we do and like, you know, and they'll rebel. Cause like I'm the CBT mom, you know? So I'm like, let's attack your thoughts. And, um, I, I don't teach breathing the way that I should. And my daughter is so funny. The first thing she'll say, if anyone asks her like, what helps she'll be like breathing, but my mom doesn't teach breathing. (laughs) So it's funny that your kids are like the opposite. You know, I, um, I trick kids into breathing and so, you know, getting them to, to do things when they're stressed, you know, like, you know, what I noticed blowing in a balloon really seems to help you when you're upset. So go blow in a balloon or why don't you go outside and blow some bubbles? So I think sometimes redirecting an activity, like my son's not into breathing, but he, you know, I'll say, go blow some balloons and pop them because he likes the aggressive aspect of it. So if they know you want to, if you, if kids know that we want them to do it, it's normal developmentally for them to, to say, no, I'm not going to do it. So I will sometimes even use like reverse psychology with my kids. And I'll be like, you can sit there and be really overwhelmed. That's going to be up to you. Or, you know, you can do something else. What do you think you should be doing? And getting them to pick their own coping mechanisms is helpful. Mm. You know, um, they may, they may like something different. Like I didn't like breathing growing up because it made me hyperventilate, but then, then I didn't teach my daughter that. And so she went to another therapist who is very much into like, um, EMDR and breathing and things that I don't teach at all. And she loved it. And so when I say to her, like, what helps you the most? She'll always say breathing in the cookies, you know, blowing out the birthday candles. And she just loves that. And so, you know, I respect that. So when she's having a hard time, the first thing I say to her is, okay, start your breathing. Mm. And I actually even bought her for Christmas, this little light. I don't know if you've seen these where like, it's really expensive for what it is, but like, it's like this little circle disc and you hit it and then it projects a blue light onto their ceiling mm. and then it breathes for them. And she loves that because it's just like, 
it's a reference for her to breathe. Um, it kind of paces her breathing and it's a focal point for her to, to calm down and it's blue and it's soothing and she loves it. So that's beautiful. Okay. All right, cool. When, well, with my daughters, I do. Sometimes I say, let's do a three breath hug and we hug and I take three deep breaths or I'll just give them a hug and I'll just say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a three breath hug and I breathe deeply near them for them. You know what I mean? And that seems to that, you know, that gives them that, that connection to a calming presence in a lot of ways. And they'll start breathing deep more deeply. If I just do it, I like, I don't, I don't tell them to. <laughs> Yeah. You know, they got those little mirror neurons going yeah. where you're gonna you're gonna resemble that. So you mentioned a, a few um uh things in letter form that I don't want the listener to feel like, wait, what was Natasha talking about that I just want to kind of um invite you to define. So you talked about CBT. So what is CBT? Um so CBT is cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm-hmm. So a lot of um my work is attacking so in reframing someone's thoughts, because that's the fuel line to an anxiety disorder is those thoughts. So even if I can calm my body and I can um, get into a better space, if I'm going to continue that fuel line, then mm-hmm. I'm going to just repeat the cycle. So reframing and attacking those distorted thoughts yeah. is kind of what CBT focuses on. And there's so much like, there's so much overlap there, of course, with mindfulness is like seeing those thoughts, interrupting those, that storytelling mind and bringing it back into reality, right? Which is like actually in our senses, right? Coming to our senses. So I love that cognitive behavioral therapy is CBT, dear listener. And you mentioned EMDR. Yeah. And that's not something I practice or um, work on Um, eye movement desensitization. I'd actually have to even look up what EMDR stands eye for. Movement. Yeah. Oh, okay. So it's an eye movement therapy. Yeah. And I really can't speak on it because I'm not EMDR trained. It's not my... Um, no, no, no. I'm just curious yeah. about what is, what is it? You know, it's something your daughter does. She doesn't do it. Yeah. Oh, but her okay. therapist does, um, does do EMDR. I've heard about this. This is like this is like, okay, so I'm going to just take a guess because I am not a therapist, so I can say it out loud. It's like a, you're like moving your eyes in a certain pattern or something, and somehow it's like calming to the system. So this is a rough layman's guess of this. Yeah. You know, I don't even want to, I don't even okay. want to guess <laughs> because it's not my area. You know, um, there's EMDR, there's tapping, there's yeah. things having to do with moving your eyes and and tapping your body. It's not my specialty. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I really don't want to mutilate the description of what it is and, and do it a disservice. It's just not something that I do for anxiety and, and OCD. So okay. I'm very narrowly focused on my. <laughs> okay. So we're just going to put a big old question mark over EMDR. Do you listen or if you, you can do, go, do some Googling on your own. Uh, great. What are, what are some things that, what are some, what are some other ways that we can, what are some ways we can help kids with, with it? Let's, let's think about first the child who's just like, just normally anxious or is highly sensitive. Like what are some ways we can help that child with anxiety? I mean, we talk about, we, we already talked about modeling um, our, you know, taking care of our own feelings and, and being in our body, but elaborate a little bit on that. Will you, Natasha, what are some of those ways we can help them? Yeah. You know, I feel like there's two other things to mention. So one, um, it's validating it, which I know sounds kind of like a cheating therapist thing to say, but I think all too often 
we're uncomfortable with our kids' feelings. And so we swoop in and we say, you're fine, you know, and with good intention, honey, you're fine, or it's no big deal, or it's just a blah, blah, blah. And what we're inadvertently doing is we're discounting their child's fears and it doesn't feel fine in their body. It doesn't seem fine. And so we want to initially just sit with that. Like, I know that's scary for you, or I know that feels really overwhelming for you. Or if you've named it, like we have in my house, you know, be like, I know O'Clouds were really upset by that. So acknowledging that, and that doesn't mean that we're going to accommodate it or tiptoe around it now because we've validated it. It's just, that's the first step is sitting with that. And then um, kind of like swinging in the totally opposite direction from that advice is I think sometimes we feel so, a lot of us who have born anxious kids or sensitive kids are sensitive ourselves. And so we can like almost physically feel our child's anxiety and it, it can be almost unbearable, like on a physical level, even depending on how sensitive you are. And so it seems like the maternal instinct or the paternal instinct is to just fix it. So I might say, honey, you're fine. Or I might be like, you're not fine. And I'm not fine. Either way, the end result for some parents is to go in and fix it. So, oh, you're upset with that. Then let's just get rid of that. You don't like going to that class. Let's just not go to that class. Um, You know, the dark scares you. Let me just go with you. You can't cut your food. I'll cut it for you. And and it, we get gratification because our child's anxiety goes down in that moment. And so it feels very good, mm-hmm. but long-term it's actually not helpful because we really want to empower our kids. And so some of, some of the counterintuitive parental approach is after you validate, like, I know that's really hard for you. Let's find a tiny step that you can do to mm-hmm. walk towards that a little bit. And so it may look like, and I'll give you an example. So when my daughter, I'm sure she probably doesn't appreciate this example, but I won't tell you which daughter, um, <laughs> had a hard time, you know, going to the bathroom. And part of that was because she used to get really constipated. So it hurt, but then, you know, there were scares and fears around the toilet and the flushing and bad guys are going to come out of the toilet, lots of stuff happening. But instead of me just saying, I know that's scary for you. And so I will always sit there and hold your hand. Like we were at the point where I was on a stool when she was like three, you know, like holding her hand as she was going through it. That's a lot um, to, you know, I'll stand in the door frame while you do it. Cause I know that you can do it. I know it's scary, but I know you can do it. And then I'm going to sit on the couch maybe, you know, a few weeks after that, because I know you can do it. So I think it's setting up these small steps of believing in our kids, even when they don't believe in themselves. And even when maybe privately, we don't believe in them. And we think, oh my gosh, they're going to just completely crumble and give them a little, a little small step towards that discomfort so they can learn how to build that resiliency. I really appreciate that because I tend to be like, well, they got to learn to do this thing on their own. So go do the thing sometimes, you know, and, and those, those small steps, like just walking them through those small steps, it, you know, that makes such a big difference. Like, like it sounds like that sounds very similar to, you know, sometimes we talk about um, in mindful parenting and, and like sleep, it's like, well, you know, what's the middle path? Maybe you say to your child, like, I'll, I'm going to be back and to check on you in three minutes. And then you go back and check in three minutes, right? Or I'm going to go back and check on you in five minutes. And I'm going to go back and check on you in 10 minutes, right? Like scaffolding these steps, ways to kind of scaffold these steps so that, you know, we can just slowly, it's a like weaning, right? Like slowly right. wean them from your a hundred percent full support for whatever that thing is. Yeah, exactly. And I think um, sometimes we're afraid of, of our kids turning into a puddle. And so sometimes parents will say to me, well, Natasha, I tried that. I tried even the smallest step and 
you know, she crumbles on the floor and she cries and she screams. And so I can't do that. And it's like, don't gauge her success by your child's immediate response. Because sometimes when we cave in that moment, we're inadvertently con- conveying to our child that we believe that they can't, they don't have it either. Mm. Uh, you know, that almost happened actually today. I've been trying to get my daughter, this is totally not anxiety related. I've been trying to get her to cut her waffle. She's nine. It's a little ridiculous. And we worked on it for like two months where she would just melt down. If she had to cut her own waffle in the morning and she, you know, got independent. And then today I can't do it. And it, normally it's because she's maybe over or overwhelmed already. She was anxious about going to school today, you know? And so I could easily just jump in there and cut it for her. It would save me time. I wouldn't have to, she'd be happy. And it would seem like a win-win, but it's not, it's conveying a message to her that she really can't do it. And so instead we like, literally I held the fork as she took the knife and like, kind of like use it like a saw, go back and forth, you know? And even though it seems ridiculous, it was like conveying to her that I believe you can do this. And, and she's crying as she's doing it. And I think that happens with anxiety too. Like they don't want to maybe take that one step where you're at the door or you're going to check back in three minutes. But even if they cry for the full three minutes that you are away, your behavior is conveying that you believe in them mm-hmm. and that they can do it and they will do it. Um, and I think that's really tricky as a parent. So how are you, and I, these are amazing steps to do. And these are amazing like behaviors for us to do as parents, right? Like these are like amazing things to do. And I bet that was really hard for you this morning with the waffle. Cause you're like, oh my goodness, child, like could just get over this stupid waffle thing. Yeah. I can't believe I'm in this situation. Like I imagine there's annoyance, embarrassment, frustration, all these things coming up with you for you. How did you navigate your own feelings and to be able to respond in such a skillful way in that moment? Well, I'm not, I'm definitely not always Mother Teresa. I have very, <laughs> so let's just put that there. Like, but today, um, like I know that when I go backwards with her, like I'm undoing everything. And so I just remind myself that like, I need to stick through it because there's so there's a, such a good payoff. And I've seen this time and time again with all three of my kids There's such a good payoff when you stick with your guns. Um, not every gun. It's like, you don't have to, you have to pick your battles, but the waffle had been a battle I picked. So, um, yeah, I think I just, I compartmentalize pretty well as a therapist. <laughs> so I just check out, I'm just like, I'm holding, this is ridiculous, but I'm holding, I'm holding the fork and she's just going to cut it and I'm getting out of there. And then I, like, apparently she cut it like a little wrong. This is an anxiety thing, you know, and it, see, I'm, I'm worthless. Look at this. And like, you have to cut it in a certain way, which I'm filing for later because that's interesting data, but I'm like, it doesn't have to be perfect. So in that moment, because I, I wasn't stressed today, like mm-hmm. I was in a good space. And that, I think that is something to mention too, is like, yeah, sometimes we're going to have ugly moments and we have to be kind with ourselves because if I was stressed today and I was in a time crunch and, or I wasn't feeling well, I would not have been able to tolerate that. And I probably either would have just cut it for her because I wasn't in a good place or I would have gotten really angry with her, but mm-hmm. I was in a good place, which says something about making sure that we're okay. Mm-hmm. So I was able to hold the fork and be like, okay, you know, and then it was a whole conversation about perfectionism, you know, waffles don't have to be cut perfectly and you don't have to be a perfect waffle cutter. <laughs> and we, then we're not talking about the waffle anymore. You know, we're talking about life mm-hmm. and it becomes mm-hmm. a life lesson, um, mm-hmm. which we don't always have those beautiful moments, but today was a good day. Good. Yeah. I, I love how you pulled out that piece about you, like you were like in this place where you, you know, your own, you, you were able to stay grounded and, and not take it so seriously, not add the drama to the situation of your own, of all those uh, frustrations and things. I think that's really beautiful. And um, 
and and this piece about holding holding those boundaries with kindness and compassion, right? Like it's not going to do your child any favors to like go back on the waffle issue to like take, you know, so um, that's, you know, holding a boundary with kindness and compassion. And it's a vote of, if, if, if you do for him, it's a vote of no confidence in their inability. So what I also want to underline here is that you're talking, you know, you're, you're, you know, you have uh, kids who, you know, kids who deal with anxiety and have fears and things like that. Like they're still going to have to have, all those boundaries and those those expectations and life skills and all of those things like that's kind of what's underneath kind of what I'm hearing here too. Yeah, and that is such a good thing to, to highlight because I think sometimes um, when we have anxious kids or sensitive kids, we we treat them with kid gloves because we think they can't really handle them. We don't want to break them, and um, we don't push them as hard or we over accommodate and the rest of the world isn't going to do that for them. So we can do that in a compassionate sort of way and walk them through these things. So they become resilient so that when they're out in the world and they have people who are less compassionate, who aren't going to, you know, accommodate them, they can handle that because we've walked them through it. No one's going to hold her fork or wipe her butt, you know, in the kind, considerate way that I have done over these years, but she's being, she's, she's being coached through it. So that she can tolerate it. If I never let her do these things, or I, the minute she crumbled, um, I swooped in and did it for her, then she would be really a big puddle by the time she was like 15. And that's not the goal. I love that. So, so please, dear listener, don't be afraid of your kids difficult feelings and difficult, you know, uh, upset reactions to sometimes you may have to hold a boundary and your kid's not going to be happy about it. You, they may be upset. They may be worried. They may have feelings and that's okay. It's, it, they ha- they're they going to have these feelings with, when, you know, our goal is not to make them feel good all the time, but it's to, to, to help them learn to cope uh, with us. Right. Like, so the, the coping skills are kind of like, we learn these coping skills almost like the way we learn any skill. Like first we do it with them or for them, right? First we do it for them. Then we do it with them and then they do it and we are, we watch them do it and then they do it on their own. Right. Is that kind yeah. of, yeah. And I, I love how you said to like, not be afraid of their emotions because sometimes like we gauge our success as a parent on like our kids being happy. And that's just one, it's unrealistic, but two, it's okay if our kids are sad or anxious or angry, it's just what they do with those feelings. And we want to convey that in our, you know, I think sometimes we say like, I'm a successful parent because my child is happy or I'm not successful because my child is anxious or sad or or mad. And they're going to have all those emotions. And if, when we let them sit with those emotions, it's okay to be angry. It's just what you do with it. You know, go get a bean bag, go hit the bean bag, or it's okay that you're upset that you have to cut your waffle. I get this is frustrating. Um, and you're still going to, your waffle's still here and you're still gonna have to cut it when you're ready. I'm not going to do it for you, but I get that it's upsetting. That allows them the space to have all those emotions and to learn self-regulation and to learn what helps and what doesn't. And it's, it's validating. So I think we have to gauge our success as parents on how we navigate those moments and also separate ourselves from our kids. And that sometimes good parenting and setting good boundaries isn't going to always be well-received in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. And 
just because your child suffers from anxieties or maybe even has an anxiety disorder does not mean you're not a good parent, right? So what are, what should parents do if you, you're listening and you're thinking, I think my child may have more than just sensitivity. I think my child may have more than just, um, right. You know, uh, anxieties that are, are manageable. They, they seem to be really debilitating my child. What should they do then? Yeah, I do feel like being proactive is the best thing to do. Um, I'm not saying that just because I'm a therapist. You know, I just think it's a good thing to do. Give them those skills. So seek out an anxiety child therapist. You want to find someone who who really only specializes in anxiety in a perfect world um, for anxiety disorders, not just an anxious, sensitive kid, but an anxiety disorder. I am totally biased, so I'll just put that out there. But I do feel like um, a, a CBT therapist, cognitive behavioral therapy, um, is the best approach. It's evidence-based and, um, you just want to do your research because they're like every therapist out there will say they treat anxiety, but not all of them use evidence-based approaches. And so I would get support. And even if your child is not open to therapy, get your own support, Mm. Uh, surround yourself with people who get anxiety because it is highly genetic. And if you're being surrounded by friends and family who are blaming you, I mean, even if they're not intentionally doing it, but they're, you know, talking about your parenting, or if, even if you see a therapist who is focusing on your parenting style and anxiety runs rampant in your family, you want to find an anxiety specialist because we don't need that extra burden of feeling like I caused this um, when we don't do that for kids who have diabetes. Mm, I love that. I like, I love that analogy, you know, like there are these causes and conditions and we know that like we know that, you know, traumas are passed on, right? We know that all of these things are passed on in our genes through, in our, in our physical genes and, and through the causes and conditions that, you know, that, that from our ancestors and, and the way we were raised and cultures and things like that. So yeah, like, let's not be, the, that blaming is, is not going to be helpful. Like get, get that help. Okay. So get the help for, for our kids and get the help from, for ourselves and, and start to practice these coping skills. Um, is, are there any, um, I guess I'm thinking about like, are there any, any kind of overall practices that you think would be helpful for a parent, for parents who are, um, you know, to help maybe, um, if they they or their child are are struggling with anxiety or if they're they're worried you know to kind of like forestall that do you know what I mean or to prevent that preventative (laughs) yeah you know the earlier you start working on it the better I think some people don't want to like pathologize it and so they are they take a wait and see approach and you don't necessarily have to go see a therapist. You know, that's mm-hmm. just an added support. Um, if your child's really acute with their issues, it's definitely a good thing to do. But I think getting your child emotionally um, connected with their body and, and with their thoughts, their anxious thoughts is really helpful. And so setting up challenges, like at my house, um, you know, we set up challenges where, you know, we have a framework for how to approach anxiety. So if you have a child with an anxiety disorder, you can either get a therapist to do this or, um, you know, I teach this in my online classes or it's not rocket science anyway, is just create some sort of framework at home where like we give bravery points. And so it's kind of turning a behavior modification approach um, in your house. So 
um, if my child, and this happens unfortunately multiple times a day because all my kids have anxiety disorders because it's genetic um, and it, they have OCD. So there's a lot going on here. But if my son's having a problem, um, he might actually even come to me and say, mom, I'm afraid to go upstairs, you know, and that's a kind of a common one for him. And so depending on what's going on with him, I might say, well, if you can go upstairs and just grab your shoes and come back down, you can earn a bravery point. And so this is how we talk. And so um, he likes Roblox. And so he wants Robux, you know, and I don't give him Robux. He didn't even get any Robux for Christmas because that is his commodity. And so he earns those only through bravery points. Mm-hmm. So we have this set up and it's part of the language of um, even my 17 year old is in on that. Cause she'll be like, I wanted her to come and get a Starbucks with me. And she had like cat fur all over her body and she has an anxiety. She has social anxiety. And she's like, well, could I get a point for it? You know, <laughs> And it was helpful to know, like that's the level of panic she was feeling in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. I think developing some home behavior plan where your kids mm-hmm. are like earning bravery points, or you have a win board where you celebrate their, their steps towards things that are scary, like celebrating that bravery and that empowerment is really, really good. Mm, that's a, that's an interesting idea. And then this idea that, um, you know, yeah, I, I can think of certain situations where it's like, here, just go ask so-and-so this thing. No, I can't do that. You know, and then that could be a bravery point. That's really cool. Well, um, Natasha, it's been really, it's been really fascinating to talk to you and I, I really appreciate, uh, everything that you're, you're, you're doing. Is there anything that we should, that we miss that we should, uh, that we, that we want to leave the listener with? No, I think you covered a lot. You know, I would just, don't be afraid to, well, there's no pun intended on that one. <laughs> don't be afraid to dive into feelings with your kids and, and empower them. You know, anxiety can be a, can be a beautiful thing in that it teaches our kids so much. Like my kids are learning so much more about themselves than the average kid because of their anxiety disorders. Um, They're learning how to tap into their strengths and face fears and they're gonna be more well-prepared for life than the average kid because they're, they're climbing mountains on a daily basis. Yeah, they, they learn, they're having to learn these coping skills that maybe other kids wouldn't learn until much, much later. Yeah, absolutely, that's so cool. Yeah. I love that. I love that ending that on the positive, like piece of that, that, you know, we, we forget, right. Like that these challenges are teachers, they're teaching some amazing things and, uh, and there your kids are learning that in the safety of your home as, as kids, which is really cool. Um, so thank you so much. Thank you for the work that you're doing and, and for coming on and for sharing all this. This is incredibly valuable. I know people are going to get so much out of this. Where can people find out more about you and what you're doing? Um, you can find out about me at atparentingsurvival.com. I've got a podcast, a YouTube channel for kids and online courses and lots of other stuff. So you can find me over there. Great. Awesome. And and again, thank you. It's been a real pleasure. And I think it's, uh, I know that it's going to be, have ripple effects and, and help so many people. So I really, really appreciate your time today. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I hope this conversation has relieved some anxieties for you, dear listener. There's so much to worry about with kids, but that taking care of our own anxieties is a big piece of that, right? Big, important piece of that. And if you'd like some support with mindfulness practices that are research proven to reduce anxiety, 
please go to mindfulmamamentor.com and check out the resources we have and tell me what you tell me what you think tell me what your takeaways from this episode if this was helpful i'd love to know it really like makes a world of difference when you tell me what you think and whether this episode was helpful for you or not so please do let me know i'm at mindful mama mentor on instagram so tag me share it in your stories or whatever you can take a screenshot of what you're listening to this on and share it i would love that just make my little heart just be a little brighter today so i'm wishing you a great week i'm wishing you some peaceful week i'm wishing you a vaccinated future (laughs) and some beautiful days and i will be back in your inbox in your ears talking to you next week about understanding attachment so i'm really excited about that so i will talk to you again soon thank you so much for listening all the best to you, my friend. Namaste. I say definitely do it. It's really helpful. It will change your relationship with your kids for the better. It will help you communicate better. And just, I'd say communicate better as a person, as a wife, as a spouse. It's been really a positive influence in our lives. So definitely do it. I'd say definitely do it. It's so worth it. The money really is inconsequential when you get so much benefit from being a better parent to your children and feeling like you're connecting more with them and not feeling like you're yelling all the time or you're like, why isn't things working? I would say definitely do it. It's so, so worth it. It'll change you. No matter what age someone's child is, it's a great opportunity for personal growth and it's a great investment in someone's family. I'm very thankful I have this. You can continue in your old habits that aren't working or you can learn some new tools and gain some perspective to shift everything in your parenting. Are you frustrated by parenting? Do you listen to the experts and try all the tips and strategies, but you're just not seeing the results that you want? Or are you lost as to where to start? Does it all seem so overwhelming with too much to learn? Are you yearning for a community of people who get it? who also don't want to threaten and punish to create cooperation? Hi, I'm Hunter Clarkfields, and if you answered yes to any of these questions, I want you to seriously consider the Mindful Parenting membership. You'll be joining hundreds of members who have discovered the path of mindful parenting and now have confidence and clarity in their parenting. This isn't just another parenting class. This is an opportunity to really discover your unique, lasting relationship, not only with your children, but with yourself. It will translate into lasting, connected relationships, not only with your children, but your partner too. Let me change your life. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com to add your name to the waitlist, so you will be the first to be notified when I open the membership for enrollment. I look forward to seeing you on the inside mindfulparentingcourse.com. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. 
On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. 